Okay, Popcorn Junkies here, about to review Brad Pitt's Ad Astra. I think Latin translation is uh, To the Stars, or Journey to the Stars, or something like that. Um, directed by James Gray, Ad Astra is being billed as something of a thinking man's sci-fi movie. Um, James Gray is a director, actually I'm going to have to make a huge confession here, as an enormous devotee to the cinema and the arts of film and cinema and filmmaking. Um, James Gray has fallen beneath my radar. We saw the trailer and we were very unexcited by it and that yielded a lot of negative comments from uh, some of you guys who, who saw our trailer reaction and I think you were right I think you were right to be negative I don't necessarily think that our reaction was not correct I think the trailer wasn't a particularly powerful trailer but I realize now that it was a trailer for a very different type of film so this is as I say a thinking man's sci-fi movie so think along the lines of things like Interstellar and 2001 Space Odyssey um, even Blade Runner uh, 2049 stuff like that stars Brad Pitt Brad Pitt's having the year of all years this year with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I thought he played I thought he I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his film um, Ad Astra is his film and we have Brad Pitt I saw this at the IMAX and we have Brad Pitt's face in extraordinary close-up for the vast majority of this film um, it also co-stars Tommy Lee Jones, who I'm an enormous fan of, obviously most, most famous for Men in Black and uh, No Country for Old Men and things like that. Great gravelly, granular face. I mean, his face looks like an entire state of the United States, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it's got the crags, it's got the lowlands, it's got the highlands, it's got the pot marks, it's got crater marks. I mean, he looks like he's got parts of the moon on his face and he's got meteorites that have struck him. And yeah, I mean, if anyone could shrug off a meteor strike, it's Tommy Lee Jones. Um, and of course, the lovely Donald Sutherland, who we'll, we'll, we've most recently seen in the Hunger Game films, who, you know, is an absolute stalwart. So this film is set in the near future. Brad Pitt's playing an astronaut. His father, he's the son of a very famous astronaut, Tommy Lee Jones, who went headed off into space many years before um, on a mission to explore Neptune or explore the outer reaches of space. Brad Pitt's grown up assuming that his father was lost or died out on the mission, but um, it's soon becomes apparent that strange pulse-like energy bursts are being fired at Earth um, and there's a suggestion that this could well be coming from the region, the Lima project that his father Tommy Lee Jones was initially sent out and working on. So we find Brad Pitt, he's a man who's a meticulously professional astronaut, cosmonaut, um, he's an engineer. He has to do these verbal assessments where he describes how he's feeling. And it's quite nice. It's quite a neat device, actually, for us accessing the inner workings of Brad Pitt's character's mind so that we get a real sense of, of where he's at. But what we discover is that actually he's quite a, as you would have to be as an astronaut, he's quite a straight-laced, professional, meticulous, disciplined, organised chap. Um, who takes his job seriously and is highly regarded. Not an intensely emotional guy. We get a sense of his partner, his wife, Liv Tyler, but we get a sense that perhaps his concentration on work has been to the detriment and sacrifice of those more emotional sides of his life. We then understand that his emotional stuntedness, for want of a better expression, is perhaps the consequence of him not having had a particularly meaningful relationship with his father, Tommy Lee Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones having essentially prioritised space exploration up and above any form of meaningful family relationship. So you've got all that kind of swishing around in there. So this is a film, really, about the Oedipal crisis, but re a sort of Freudian. It's a Freudian film. This is a film 
This is a psychoanalytical film. This is like watching, this was like watching Brad Pitt on the psychoanalyst's chair as a cosmonaut, going through and analyzing what it means to have been the son of an absent father who's got lost in space. So we now see Brad Pitt heading off into space and that's, that's really the gist of the film. He heads off into space to find his father, see what his connection is to these terrible, dangerous, pulsating surges that are kind of making things knock all over the place and blow up and explode and see if we can resolve, see if he can resolve that problem. What I liked about this film was it was set, often you get films like, well, even like with Blade Runner 2049, set in a very specific time where there's a sort of specific attempt to kind of, I don't know, uh, personify that period by being inventively modern, if you like, or sci-fi. And what I liked about this film was it said it was set in the near future. So it's not distant. And James Gray has said in an interview that he encouraged the production design, the script, and with the sort of general directorial approach to the film, he was encouraging everyone to think of the tech within this film in terms of just an extension of what we currently have now, but perhaps 50 years or so in the future. And to that extent, I think this film, I was quite surprised by it. And, and uh, I, it was a treat really for me because I love the battered realism of films like A, Alien, Blade Runner, uh, Star Wars, obviously. Um, I love that sort of aesthetic. And so, you know, he's really adopted that in this. So all of the shots, every shot is a sumptuous shot of production design joy. And so the first scene in this film, where we get a real sense of the, well, it's, it's a clever scene, because on the one hand, this scene where he's he's engineering, doing some engineer work on an enormous aerial. I mean, we're not talking about like an aerial that you get on your house. We're not talking about an aerial like the one in Crystal Palace that beams television signals out. We're not even talking about an aerial as tall as, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower. We're talking about an aerial that goes miles into the sky and literally sits and stops just at the point where the atmosphere hits space. So you can see the darkness of space and you can see the blueness of sky. Um, so he's up there, just as you are, just, you know, polishing. I couldn't bear to look at from, from the top down. I mean, I was getting vertigo in the IMAX cinema. And I go, no, no. And one of these pulsing surges causes an, an extraordinarily dramatic scene. I won't give it away too much, although you can well imagine. I think it's in the trailer. So all sorts of shit kicks off on this antennae. And we have an incredibly adrenaline fueled, very well managed, very well covered, very well shot very stressful, very believable. And that's the thing with these scenes, you know. I always remember the beginning of Gravity. You've got to believe it. And there was a real believability to this scene of um, huge catastrophe, crisis and Armageddon happening in the sky. And he had such a far, such a distance to fall that again, you believe that he had the capacity and the experience and the scientific know-how to know how to calm himself, sort himself out, adjust himself and make the necessary sort of decisions in order to somehow survive. But within that moment, you get a sense of this is the kind of damage that's being done by the pulsar coming out of space. And so NASA, it's not NASA in the film, but so the American agency, the United States Space Agency or whatever it's called in the film, decides to pull um, Brad Pitt in and say, look, you know, you're clearly quite something. Uh, we've got a bit of a problem. You're basically your father is out in Neptune and we think he's kind of got something to do with this pulsating business. Um, I have to confess, I thought of all the parts of this film that I thought were the weakest. And there are a couple. I thought, unfortunately, I thought the very concept of his father somehow being responsible for pulsating surges hitting Earth and causing a problem for Earth. I found that the least believable part of the entire film, which is odd because everything else within it, I really believe. That that concept I was struggling from right at the beginning of, of the film when we sort of go, okay, so 
Is, is, is he just truly a malevolent force or is, is this an accidental thing that's happened? Has an experiment gone wrong in the outer rings of Neptune? What If it was accidental, I could have probably understood that more meaningfully because, I don't know, just the idea that one chap could get that far into space and cause a problem was, uh, I found, problematic. Um, and he's going to be sent on a mission to essentially seek and seek and potentially destroy or resolve the problem, perhaps rescue his father and bring him back. Um, but what they want to do, the American government want to do it slightly in a slightly secret manner, so they're going to fly him by commercial flight out to the moon. And the reason I'm going to great lengths to describe that bit is I thought the commercial flight bit was brilliant. You've actually got Virgin Atlantic's brand all over it, so some good brand placement there by Richard Branson, who, as we know, is wanting to start, start taking people out to the moon and out into space. I found all that really believable, and it reminded me of 2001. It had a sort of usability. It had a... Um, it, it, it felt real. It felt like this is very much what we're going to be doing. How you're going to be looked after, how you would sit, what the sort of tannoy comments would be and instructions would be if you were on a commercial space flight. And so they fly Brad Pitt out to the moon. And when he lands on the moon, you've got a terminal area, you've got internal, you know, it's, it's a very inhabited moon. And um, the director, James Grace, talked about how he was inspired by the architecture and engineering of Penn Station, New York, for that for that scene. And so it felt very ordinary. And this is what I liked also about the film, is that the tech and the production design and the sense of sci-fi-ness felt very ordinary. It felt well used. It felt well used. It felt like these were commuters passing through the space. These all felt like long-distance workers, you know, like oil rig workers or something like that, flying out to the moon for their, you know, long-haul long-stay jobs and things like that and I liked that and I thought that was really believable and then they have to drive out to another part of the moon to Mars that's right I think they, had, they were going to somewhere else on the moon to the and there was a brilliant brilliant scene basically on the on the moon where um, uh, basically a scene of piracy where t two moon buggy buggies with pirates on try and sabotage Brad Pitt who at this point has hooked up with Donald Sutherland Donald Sutherland's there because he used to be a friend of Brad Pitt's father and he knows that the mission's happening and he's kind of there to hold his hand for the early stages and a brilliantly adrenaline fueled moon buggy car chase slash shoot him up um brilliantly executed insofar as you had the, the the use of sound was brilliant so you had the sense of what the characters could hear but then you would have the absolute silence that muted silence of the surrounding moon environment which i can really relate to because when i filmed in the arctic there is a real blanketed mute silence to these strange landscapes of just dust or just ice or you know of dryness um, and so this this was like the second absolute tentpole moment in the film which was this great moon buggy dunes flying over dunes crashes impacts you had the uh, lack of gravitate gravity hitting as they hit the car they'd spin but there would be a sort of strange contradictory speed but slow slowness to everything i thought it was excellently excellently pulled off in fact better than david bowie's son's depiction of activity on the moon in moon the film moon um i thought it was really 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 powerful and so throughout this brad pitt what do we think of brad pitt? i thought at first i I've, I've always had problems with brad pitt i've never thought he can necessarily cradle the full gamut of or the full range of emotions that some of the characters he's played. It's not that he can't deliver a narrow gauge of, of some of the emotions, but my fear with him is sometimes that he feels a bit limited. He'll go for one part of a character's emotional struggle, but can't reach to other parts. Now, 
The character he's playing in this film is an incredibly buttoned up emotional character and that's partly because of his, his estranged relationship with Tommy Lee Jones, his father. But I thought the narrative art for Brad Pitt across this film was incredibly well observed, well paced and meticulously constructed. Um, you know, we slowly see a man of, of, of his personality, of his slightly buttoned upness, slowly get in touch with the more emotional side of himself. And he's not going to suddenly start emoting like a psycho and crying tears all over the place. But he does this whole journey to essentially the heart of darkness, but the darkness of his father, which of course the heart the, the heart of darkness of a father is always going to be the heart of the same bloody darkness for the sun, isn't it? So this really is a, a sort of riff on that Apocalypse Now, Joseph Conrad heart of darkness idea of running, you know, going exploring up the river to find Colonel Kurtz at the end of the at the end of the river or Captain Kurtz at the end of the river all screwed up and he's in the big dark place of the soul and all that kind of stuff and so we do see Brad Pitt going on a journey of discovery and we start to slowly see through these assessments that he has to keep professionally uh, recording in order to make sure that he's still you know uh, he's still healthy of mind and body to keep going with the mission he has to do these little updates of I'm this and I'm that and then they'll give him a verdict on whether he's sort of passed I thought it was a neat way we, we slowly saw within his own terms the erosion and gradual removal of those parts of his personality and his professionalism that could protect him from the emotional upset or distress that he was going to have to, you know, potentially engage with. And I thought, I thought Brad Pitt did that really well. If I had a, my second sort of slight criticism of the film is that those moments of him talking into this system of self-assessment, if you like, I felt I could, I felt on two or three occasions they lent a little bit too literally on Brad Pitt saying things like, "Why did I let him do that?" and "Why did I do that?" You, we, they just weren't needed because I thought surprisingly and I was surprised maybe the director was Brad Pitt was carrying it so well with just these remarkable close-ups of his incredibly craggy face you know sort of all the veins and marks around his eyes very unvain performance from Brad Pitt who we're used to seeing as this sort of meticulously um, polished looking guy and because the film was working, was firing so well on the visuals, it was firing so well on the soundtrack, it was firing so well on the pacing, I thought the pacing of this film was remarkable. So Pitt's character and narrative arc is very gentle, but very definite, it's very nuanced. It's an incredibly ruminative and meditative watch. It, and the soundtrack, part of me was thinking, I want to get the soundtrack and I just want to meditate to it for like an hour and a half to two hours. It moves quite slowly, but I never felt a sense of boredom, not once. It moved slowly in that way that 2001 and Space Odyssey moved slowly. It's like a ship passing through space. It's moving slowly, but at the same time, like a ship passing through space, it looks like it's moving slowly, but actually emotionally it's moving quite quickly. And so you do find yourself moving inexorably towards more and more sort of crisis and catastrophe and drama. Now. I'm not going to give away the exact nature of another brilliant set piece scene, but whilst they're on their mission, I think it's between the between going from the moon to Mars, uh, which and the Mars is the last manned place in the in the known human universe uh, before then having to spring off to Neptune. 
Um, there's a brilliant scene where he they intercept a distress call from a cargo ship of some form. And when they uh, board this cargo ship, I'm not going to give away exactly what happens in it but and what they discover, but it's a brilliant, brilliant moment in the film. It's one of those moments. It's the kind of moment I was hoping for from um, High Life, the film recently made with Robert Pattinson. It was a sort of art house sci-fi film that we reviewed on the channel. And everything I was hoping High Life would be. I have to say, I think this film is. Yeah, it's those things. And anyway, this scene on board this cargo ship with a distress signal, uh, there's one, there's a moment of, of ickiness and goriness that's just if you're a, if you're into that kind of thing, it's great. It's just great just looking at it and just thinking, oh my God. Interestingly, the cinematographer on this uh, also shot films like Interstellar, Dunkirk and and Her, which I saw, I caught only recently and I haven't seen it before. And so there's a really muted um, colour palette of oranges and ochres. The cinematographer is Hoyt Van Huytema and uh, he's not at all afraid to let stuff that's not quite identifiable sit within frames. You've got really shadowed corners and edges. Um, he, he, he goes in for such brilliantly huge close-ups and as I said I saw this on the IMAX screen and it really rewards from an IMAX. I mean there's nothing quite like Brad Pitt's head the size of, I don't know, a skyscraper. It's quite amazing. Um, and there was a beautiful, just a beautiful detail that I just wanted to just say. The very first shot, which is a is one shot of a sort of sun flare happening across the lens. Within that flare, as the flare goes past the lens, you see a refracted image of Brad Pitt just sitting on his mission. I thought it was a beautiful way to introduce Brad Pitt for the first moment in the film. The footage is just full of lens flares. It's got genuinely filmic, grainy, granular feel to it. It's got it's just full of grainy contortions, which in space, you know, sometimes you really get a lot of sci-fi is that the the, the the emphasis is on high definition, isn't it? The emphasis is on on a clarity and a cleanliness and a and a sort of scientific precision to the shots and to the shapes and things like that. And what I liked about this film was you felt a sense of atoms and and stuff and bits floating about, whether it even be in the you know the the belt around Neptune or you know, within ships of, of of water and liquid. Even the way they at one point they throw pills at each other, the astronauts, and and there's just this sense that just because it's space it's not clean it's not clear it's 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 grainy i also like the fact that the sound design a little bit like the camera work is very happy to let us not hear everything so you you're getting as much by omission and by what you're struggling to hear or straining to hear so there'll be moments of sort of you know naturally naturally recorded sound that you're listening to a character's listening to and you're hearing it off camera and you can't quite make it out but you can just about make it out that sort of thing i like because it encourages you to see a film a second time but it just adds to that authenticity that sense of dis disorientation that sense of dislocation for the key character and it really helps i think us with understanding brad pitt increasing sense of isolation and being sort of going going towards the end of this almost religious like journey it's, it's very much a um an odyssey. So of course Pitt moves through Mars, we have uh, an interesting base at Mars. We also bring a character played by Ruth Neger who has some skin in the game really when it comes to Brad Pitt's father and slowly as, as Brad Pitt almost moves from Earth to Moon and then from Moon to Mars, as he moves from in, you know planet, planet to planet essentially, 
the sense of unease that, and the fact that he's not being given the whole picture or the fact that perhaps this mission to find out what's happening with his father isn't quite as benevolent as, as he first thought, that actually, oh no, hang on, Dad's possibly an absolute psycho uh, at the edge of the universe. And there is a quote in there somewhere, I think he says about the sins of the fathers are, you know, are, are placed heavily on the shoulders of the son. And, and so, you know, this film really is a parable or a fable or a Freudian um, metaphysical poem, if you like, about a son and father and what it means to be a son and a father. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know my father. And for the, you know, father-son relationships are often there in uh, in sci-fi films. If you think of the whole alien resurrection, Prometheus thing, who's the father of the creatures, of the robots, of the people, all that kind of stuff, the mother of the alien, and all that sort of thing. And then you've got that that other detail in things like Star Wars, where you know Luke Skywalker doesn't know his father, and you know they've got that whole drama that's obviously revealed. And in this, this idea that there's an there's a dislocation between Brad Pitt and his father so that they're so estranged you can't get more estranged than one being on earth and the other one being in the outer rings of Neptune I mean that's about as estranged as estranged as you get and so the whole film is a journey as I say of Pitt moving towards his own almost his own DNA origins because in many regards and it's said a lot at the beginning of the film he's very like Tommy Lee Jones he's a sort of mirror image of his father because he's accomplished all the same things he's he learnt maths at his father's feet you know and and so within Brad Pitt there is a strange contorted reflection of Tommy Lee Jones now I don't want to give away too much this is a bit of a spoiler review and I will put spoiler up though in, in fact I'm not going to give all the spoilers away but there is a moment where Brad Pitt has to take control of one of the ships and a, um, and he has to do, or he ends up doing something that's incredibly similar to what Tommy Lee Jones, his father, has already done out on the Lima project. And so there is this, this idea that's threaded through this film of, okay, uh, Brad Pitt's intentions might be more honourable and different to Tommy Lee Jones's, but maybe Tommy Lee Jones's, his father's, were also quite pure and scientific and had all the best intentions when he was younger. So what's to say and who's to say that Brad Pitt couldn't end up in the same obsessive, professionally meticulous mess that he, he finally discovers that his father is in. And so we do get, we build to this moment where we, we meet, you know, we do meet Tommy Lee Jones, we find him, he put, comes onto the Lima Project ship. And on this ship, there's some really grisly suggestions of what's been going on. Some of the bodies floating around Tommy Lee Jones as he's standing at the top of this scaffolding type thing inside his space uh, station. And he's sort of looking down and you've got guys floating around with like plastic bags on their heads with faces and heads that have kind of disappeared. I mean, all that stuff I love. I thought this was a really good film for not necessarily shocking and scaring you, though there are a couple of moments like that, but for a slow, dawning, gravitational horror. And that, for me, is where it's more akin to films like 2001 A Space Odyssey. I remember seeing 2001 when I was too young. I was about seven or eight, and it was just long and boring to me. But I remember it really creeping me out. It really made me feel, ooh, it's a bit eerie, the monkeys and the people and the, oh, there's something just a bit, ooh, about it. This film does the same thing. There's something a bit, oh, about what people have got up to and what's happened to people and how there's a slow... In, you know, the bodies don't decompose because they're in space and all that kind of stuff. I just found that intriguing. I just think that the couple of bum notes that I feel that there were in this film were, I just felt that they put 
Brad Pitt's emotions into words on about three occasions where they didn't need to. His performance was so strong, I thought. And so, when I say so strong, I don't want you to go to the cinema and think you're going to have all sorts of hijinks. It's an incredibly internal, insular, micro-movements. It's a very low-key performance, but in its low-keyness, because his face is in massive close-up, you're getting a lot of his, his sort of glacial moves, emotional moves of a glacial nature. You know, he's moving very slowly. Um, but he, he was carrying it, he could do it. And I felt that they, they thrust a few cliched notes in his, in his voiceover. And so for me, the richness of this film is the idea, is its themes around ideas of gods and versus men. Gods versus men. Who is more powerful? What is God? What is this celestial being that we as humans on this planet have looked incidentally skyward to the stars and assigned a celestial quality to what it is we see up there? I mean, it's the eternal quest for understanding, isn't it, for us as humans? What is the effing meaning of life? Where have I come from? Where am I going to? We are, I've often said before, we are made of carbon. We are made of the stuff that stars are made of. So it's not beyond the bounds of imagination to think that actually, yeah, we crumble down away, we go back out into the universe and the universe makes us another thing and, and we are all and we are everywhere. But I just thought this was, you know, we, we've parked a lot of ideas, astronomers and, and religions, you know, in the stars. We've parked celestial power and strength and faith and God and religion all over there. And what I liked about this film was that actually when push comes to shove, when you get to the very end of that Kurtz-like heart of darkness apocalypse now river, and you find that it's your dad, it's your bloody dad at the edge of the universe, who's, who's what? Let's think about it. What has he found at the edge of the universe? Nothing. There's nothing to find. The only thing to find is us. The only thing to find is us. There are no gods. There are just us. And so, you know, it's quite an existential film. And so I was quite surprised for quite a mainstream, you know, it's, you know, it's got Brad Pitt on the posters, you know, it's everyone's going, oh, is it going to do well at the box office? It's quite a cerebral film, this. It's quite a thought-provoking film. And I would fully recommend checking this film out. I thought it was a really stimulating meditative, thought-provoking film. Um, and it's really, really, really made me reappraise Brad Pitt, which is quite something. And I've got to go and see all of James Gray's other films. For more film and family fun, don't forget to click the subscribe button and make sure to click the bell to never miss an update. <laughs>